Let's uh, pause here for a word of prayer. Oh God, be with us in these moments as we meditate upon the words of Scripture. May we hear in them a word of truth and a word that will impact the way that we live each day. Bless us with that, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. There are some people that we know that go by just one name. Cher, uh, Beyonce, Bono, Madonna, Jack. We might not know Jack, but he's my new grandson. Uh, <laughs> born on June 9th, our, our son Daniel's birthday. Yeah. Our whole family just knows him as Jack. So just one word is all it takes for him. But I also know a guy that, um, that has no name at all. And you might know who I'm talking about. Uh, he's on staff with the St. Louis Cardinals. He wears number one on the back of his jersey. So you might be thinking, no, it's a good guess though. Um, this guy's been on the Cardinals staff for about 22 years, I think. He serves as the in-game uh, MC between innings revving up the crowd, getting fans to participate in a promotional prize giveaway game of some kind, trivia game or pressure luck or something like that. He got his, uh, his moniker during a baseball game when he was running to catch an elevator in Bush Stadium, and Ozzie Smith was on the elevator and hollered out, hey, hold the elevator for that one guy. Do you know him, that one guy? You see his face and his mojo on the Jumbotron. He shows up at the Missouri Valley Conference um, Arch Madness basketball tournament too. And his thing there is, he always uh, will say, is your team going to win today? Make some noise. And then the crowd goes crazy. Do you know who he is? He's that one guy. He's funny. He laughs. He gets others to play and cut loose with some fun. Um, he's got number one on the back of his jersey and it also says that one guy. His name's Todd Thomas, but he goes by that one guy. Scripture and real life are full of stories and experiences with people like that who have no name. There's that one guy who wandered into a cafe in Peru, Nebraska when we were eating with my dad, and my dad bought him dinner. Don't know his name, but it's a story that lives in our family. There's that one guy who towed my car to the dealer when the car wouldn't start. I don't know his name, but he was a big help. There's that one woman at Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital who um, is on the housekeeping staff. We met her when Daniel was there last spring. She's on the housekeeping team, but she ought to be on the, on the ha uh, hospital chaplain's team. She's that good with people. Today's story from the Gospel of Luke is one of those stories where the person of interest has no name. The opening verse of the story indicates that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. The narrator is reminding the readers, you and me, that Jesus is moving toward his passion, toward the crucifixion and his death in Jerusalem. And that fact washes over the words and events of this section of scripture. Luke can almost see Jerusalem in the distance and he points it out to the reader. That's part of a, a context note. The opening line also indicates that Jesus is traveling between Samaria and Galilee, Galilee and Samaria. Uh, Jesus may have traveled near the border between the two regions as he made his way down to the Jordan, 
to skirt around Samaria as most Jewish travelers did in those days. It's a fitting context because the story involves um, both Jews and a Samaritan. And the journey setting is also important. We talk about being on a journey with Jesus. The journey setting is appropriate because Jesus encounters 10 men who have leprosy on the road. They're on the road at the edge of a village. And by the edge of a village, I mean physically at the edge, socially at the edge, and religiously at the edge. The story says that the men with leprosy kept their distance from Jesus and everybody else too, as was prescribed by the law. This is from a brief um, couple verses out of Leviticus. The person who has the leprous disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head be disheveled. And he shall cover up his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp on the outskirts of town. If that's not enough, wait, <laughs> there's more. Um, we're not sure how people contracted leprosy, but it, it, it was and it is a very contagious disease. There are some parts in the world where leprosy is still um, an active disease. It's a, a skin disease and there are kind of various forms of it, but it's, uh, it's gruesome. And it was vividly described this way in some of the readings that I did in preparing for today. Um, are you ready for this? If you're eating a donut, kind of hold off. Um, the skin begins to rot and fall off. But wait, there's more. People with leprosy can lose their fingers and their toes. It's painful and worse, it's smelly. The body is covered in sores. And people in, uh, in biblical times lived outside the city. They were separated from family, from friends, and community. That's why they were uh, leper colonies, right? They, they congregated together. Can you imagine? These men have lost their job. They've lost their health. They've lost their entire support network. I was trying to think of a time when, um, in my own life, where I could even associate remotely with that. And it pales in comparison, but our middle daughter, Rachel, contracted meningitis when she was three or four months old and was in the hospital at um, St. Louis Children's Hospital and put in isolation. And we had to glove and gown and put masks on to even go in to see her or to hold her. Uh, friends and family weren't really allowed to come and, and see her. There was one member of this church that showed up and gloved and gowned and, and, and rocked Rachel. And <laughs> we... We always remember that. But we were cut off from our support network and from our family and from our friends. And during those days in the hospital, we yearned for a healing. Well, these 10 lepers, they are complete and utter social outcasts. Um, they can only return to the temple once they've been healed to show themselves to the priests, to, uh, to be assessed and evaluated and cleansed and then welcomed back into the community. So... They, they physically live um, on the outskirts. They're marginalized socially and don't have any kind of support with their faith community because of their illness. Typically, the leopards would position themselves um, along traffic ways seeking charity, like 
out here at 162 and, and I-5570. Uh, they'd be out there. And they'd be looking for, uh, for alms, for money. And, um, and people would help. But I can imagine that in this uh, scenario, they too yearned for a healing that would completely reverse their situation. So keeping their distance, the 10 men uh, with leprosy called out as if in a choir together, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Jesus saw them and said to the men, go show, go show yourselves to the priests. As they went, they were made clean. It was in their going. It was in their obedience and following Jesus' instructions about going that they were healed. The Samaritan would have gone to the priest on Mount Gerizim in Samaria. The other nine, presumably Jews, would go to Jerusalem and show themselves to the priests. It was then on the way to show themselves to the priests that one of them did something we should pay attention to. He is the person of interest. When he saw that he was healed, that one guy, that one guy turned around and came back he was shouting his gratitude and glorifying God. He kneeled at Jesus' feet because he was so grateful. That one guy couldn't thank Jesus enough for what he had done. Now, if this story was a movie, the, the music would be building and it would be really inspirational and I'd be crying. And I'm thinking this is like a great place for a perfect ending of the story. But the storyline continues. Jesus um, receives, welcomes uh, that one guy back, but then asks, were not 10 men made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give thanks and praise to God except this Samaritan, the foreigner? Well, Jesus is right, you know. There were 10 men that had leprosy. All 10 were healed. Only that one guy returned to say thank you. So why didn't the other nine return? Probably lots of reasons, maybe some excuses, I don't know. We don't always say thanks when we're supposed to. There is a, uh, a pastor, a theologian who came up with a list of reasons of, of why the nine might not have returned. One waited to see if the cure was real. One waited to see if it would last. One said he would see Jesus later. One decided that he never had leprosy. One said he would have gotten well anyway. The sixth said uh, uh, that he gave glory to the priests. One said, oh, well, Jesus really didn't do anything but send us on our way. One said any rabbi could have done it. And the ninth might have said, I was already much improved. We read this story, and one of the things that we think about is, you know, people ought to be more appreciative. More, more people ought to be writing thank you notes and buying uh, uh, cards, right? When you, care, when you care enough to send the very best, you send the Hallmark card, that's right, with the gold seal on the back of the envelope. We ought to be mailing it in. We ought to be saying thanks. Other people ought to be more appreciative, especially for stuff we do for them. Right? We, we think that way. 
saying thanks um, is important. In fact, on youth group on Wednesday nights, we had a, a session where we talked about three important things that you ought to say more often. And, and I'll give you some guesses. What, what's one thing that you ought to say more often? Thank you. That's right. That goes right with the lesson. What other two? Huh? Please. Okay, that's good. It wasn't on the list. I love you. That's right. Uh, thank you. I love you. And the other is two words. I'm sorry. That's right. Those are three things we ought to say more often. I love you. I'm sorry. And thank you. People ought to be more appreciative. But this story in Luke that he tells does not give license to point the finger at people. Why reproach the nine for not returning when they had been instructed by Jesus to go themselves, show themselves to the priests? They were, um, the men, the healed men were doing what was uh, required. I mean, I mentioned that to you already. It's in the book of Leviticus. They were following their religious law that when they were healed, they had to go show themselves to the priest to be evaluated, to be um, assessed, to be deemed um, healed and then cleansed and then uh, relieved of the label of being unclean. One commentator uh, made this point about the story and helped me kind of change my perspective about this story. He said, what we have here is a story of 10 lepers who are healed and one who has been saved. Jesus did say to that one guy, get up and go on your way for your faith has made you well. The verb uh, that's translated made well literally means to be saved. You've been saved. We ought to celebrate that. Uh, Jesus says that three other times in the gospel of Luke. Your faith has made you well. Get up and go. You have been saved. So you might be thinking about this story, well, so I need to be more grateful. I need to remember to say thanks more often. And I would say not exactly. I mean, it's important to be grateful and to say thanks. Those are good uh, social skills, good soft skills to have. But the point of the story is deeper than that. In fact, the point of the story is what uh, prompts us to be grateful. When Jesus sees the 10 men with leprosy, he saw them. And he not only saw them, he saw their need. And he not only saw them and their need, he responded to it. Think about the parable of the Good Samaritan. The priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan all see the battered man in the ditch. But only that one guy, the Samaritan, stopped to help him. That story uh, about the Good Samaritan follows immediately after Jesus blesses the disciples for what their eyes see and what their ears hear. Jesus is attentive. When that one guy with leprosy sees that his body is healed, it's then that he turned back and returned to Jesus to give thanks and to offer praise. He sees, he's attentive to what's happening to his own body, that he's being healed. In both cases, Jesus seeing the 10 men with leprosy and that one guy seeing his healed body in both of those cases, seeing is more than just physical sight. It means, on the one hand, perceiving the opportunity to be merciful toward another, and on the other hand, the recognition that God's mercy has touched 
one's own life. You see, it's not that nine were ungrateful. It's about the one who is perceptive and recognizes God's mercy at work in his own life. They all got what they wanted, but one received more than he ever dreamed of of asking for. And so I'm led to ask these two questions. What do we see and what do we do when we see? What do we see? This has to do with recognizing the needs of others. Sometimes persons in need simply do not catch our attention. An irritable coworker uh, may be facing a health problem or struggling with a difficult family situation. Who noticed an international student far from home and family? Or who sees the person that's separated from family during the holidays? Who sees? Who sees? Part of taking students on mission trips is to uh, heighten their awareness to see the needs of others. Uh, went on a trip with middle school students to Springfield a couple weekends ago. <laughs> a lot of stories. Uh, but one of the stories is we were driving uh, back into town after dinner at um, Bagatoni's Italian restaurant. And we saw a woman at an intersection who was asking for help. So what do you see the students saw or two? What do you see is the first question. But the second question is, what do we do when we see? Jesus saw the need and acted to meet it. So we saw the woman at the intersection who was asking for help. Any, any kind of help is what her sign said. And I got a good look at her since I was driving the bus. And I hear uh, some chatter from the back of the bus from the students. And uh, students won't be named. But one student says, she doesn't need any help. Look at her shoes. She's got great looking shoes on. And I heard that and I thought, they didn't see what I saw. And so um, I, I did check the, the, uh, the mirror, Paul, before I did this. But I crossed about two lanes of traffic. And don't take the keys away from me. We're, we're leaving at 2 o'clock to go to Indianapolis. I need to be able to drive it today. Um, I cut through the McDonald's parking lot, went around the, the drive through bumped over um, another street, and got over into the uh, empty lot where the woman was and motioned for her to come over to the bus. I asked one of the adults with me to grab the pizza that we had from Bagatoni's. Six boys said, hey, we all want pepperoni pizza. We, order, we need three of them. Order us three of those pizzas. They ate two and a half. So we had a half, half a pizza on the bus. So I rolled down the window on the bus and I handed the woman a $20 bill and a box of leftover pizza. And her husband rode over on a bike. I assume it was her husband. Rode over on a bike and, um, and they ate. They were hungry. They, they ate that pizza. And I said, it's from Bag of Tony's. And she ate it. They ate it together. And then I hear some other voices in the back of the bus. Somebody gave them something to eat. That was us. They didn't realize what I had handed out the window. Somebody gave them something to eat. I was like, you guys did. And they they couldn't figure out why she was blowing kisses at the bus. (laughs) It's because we saw and then we responded. It was a simple response. I'm sure it wasn't enough to meet all of her needs, but it met that need in a moment. 
a little bit of money and something to eat. I wish we could have done more. The conversation in the back of the bus changed after that. It was very, very interesting. It, it was like a, um, well, it was like a, uh, a, a, a well-trained uh, debate was going on in the back of the bus. You shouldn't judge people. Well, I didn't see anything but her shoes. Well, you didn't see her sign. Well, it was a good experience for the kids about seeing and about responding. I think about, um, about Jack. You all know who Jack is, right? You do now. Um, he's in, he's, he was a preemie, so he's in a, he's in a crib that has a cover. I've said that he's Jack in the box. I can't get anybody else in the family to think that's funny, but oh well. But I think about uh, my daughter Grace and my son-in-law Zane and about uh, what they're seeing with baby Jack. They, they have to, they're in a NICU in Kansas City. He's in great shape, by the way. He's He's five pounds and five ounces and, and growing. He's not hooked up to any uh, machines. He has a feeding tube. They're just trying to get him, get him uh, to have some more weight and make sure that he's in good shape before he goes home. But, um, and so they get to hold him back there in, the, in his room in the NICU at, uh, at St. Luke's Hospital. And um, they, they see when he needs to be held or when he needs his diaper changed or when he needs to be fed. And then when they see it, they respond. It's kind of that, that simple. What do you see? What do you do when you see it? That one guy did not just celebrate his good fortune of having his body healed. He, he saw it and then he returned to praise God and to fall on his face before Jesus to give thanks. You see, it's not about being more grateful. That would require you to like try harder or do better, write more cards, it's not about it's not about being more grateful it's about seeing differently seeing others differently it's about being perceptive of the needs of others and responding to meet them it's about being merciful when you have opportunity to do it, it to do that you have to be attentive you have to kind of have situational awareness if i was a cheerleader my cheer would be be attentive be be attentive and that requires you to like look up from your phone, come out from behind your computer screen. It, it requires you to see what's going on in the lives of others, to read body language, to look at situations, to, to be aware. You have, you have to be attuned to God's spirit and God's movement. It's that kind of seeing that this story is leading us to. It's about recognizing the mercy that you have received from God about being healed of leprosy or some other blessing that God has given you, that you've been impacted that way. And that's what elicits the untainted gratitude and the pure praise that we have for God. It's not about being more grateful. It's about seeing things, and then that's compelling and moves us to give thanks. <clears throat> the psalmist says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. What do you see? What do you do when you see? Let us call out to Christ. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. May we see and respond in the spirit of that one guy, the grateful leper. Let us pray. Oh God, we pray that your spirit would dwell in us and that you would
live and move in us in new ways. We pray that you would open our eyes. Open our eyes that we would see beyond the physical, to see the needs of others, and then to be moved, to be merciful. Let us see how you've been at work in our own lives for the blessings that we have received. Make us attentive to the ways that your power and your presence stirs in our own lives. And then we'll give you thanks for that. This is our prayer this day in the name of Christ. Amen.